loved us. He, this is something that's taken place. He loved us, and he went to Calvary to die for us. This is something that he did, something that he did once for you and I. He went to Calvary, died upon the cross of Calvary for us. And John, as he begins this book of Revelation, wants you and I to be reminded about the great love that God had for you and for me when he sent his son to die upon the cross of Calvary for us. You know, the book of Revelation is going to unfold, particularly from chapter 4 onwards, about the tribulation. It's a pretty bleak book. But in the midst of all that, the, uh, the Lord wants you and I to remember who it is the book is about. It's about Jesus Christ. And remember that God loved us and that Jesus Christ loved us. He went to the cross of Calvary to die for us. And this love also speaks of his continuing work. Okay, this is the love that continues for you and I today. He keeps, he has loved us. But the joy is that he keeps on loving us. No matter how dark time might become, no matter how difficult things may become, God loves you and I. His love for us did not end at Calvary. Aren't you glad of that? You're glad that God didn't just, you know, Jesus Christ loved us up to Calvary and up to and including Calvary, and then he died for us and his love stopped. But he still loves you and I today. Each and every one of us knows Jesus Christ our Savior. He loves us. It's an ongoing relationship of love with us. Romans 8, 37 to 39 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature should be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's a glorious truth. And John begins this, dedicates this book to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, I want to dedicate it to him because he loves us. He loved us enough to die upon the cross of Calvary and save us, and he continues to love us. And it's wonderful to know that we are loved by Christ. And it's even more wonderful to know that he still loves us. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary for us is God's ultimate proof of his love for us. And John opens this book up by declaring this very truth for us. You know, God may give you an additional proof of how much he loves us, but he can give no greater proof that he sent his son to die for us. Because greater love hath no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. And Christ laid down his life for us. He loved us. Secondly, he dedicates this book to Jesus Christ because he washed us from our sins. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Washed. Washed us, cleansed us. This is also in the Aris tense. This action has happened. In fact, this Aris is what's known as a cumulative Aris. I'm not trying to give you a Greek lesson tonight, but just to get the force of what's been said here, this is a cumulative Aris which shows that Christ has washed us. It is a completed action. The love does is, a, is an action that's completed, but it has ongoing consequences because he keeps on loving us. This washing us here in his blood is something that's happened. 
It's completed. This is what happened when Jesus Christ loved us on the cross of Calvary. He washed us by his blood. His death upon Calvary secured for you and I redemption, and he redeems us by the washing of regeneration. And the new of God goes, he washes in his blood. Salvation, we've been washed once and for all from our sin. He has buried us in the deepest sea. He's cast as far as the east from the west. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that's a great song, isn't it? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And if we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, it's a glorious truth. He has cleansed you and I from the deep stain of sin so that we really are clean before him. This, was, this, is, a, this is an absolute cleansing. This is a, a cleansing that's taken place in you and I. He's taken care of past sins, present sins, future sins. We've been washed. Because he loved us, he died for us. Because he died for us, he has washed us in his blood. And we've been washed white as snow. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, come now. Let's reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Glorious truth, isn't it? Our sins were scarlet, but now they're white as snow. They were crimson, but now they're white as wool. You know, if there was any other way to wash us from our sins, other than the shed blood of Jesus Christ, God would have done it that way. To wash us in his own blood meant the ultimate sacrifice of the Son of God, didn't it? It meant he had to die for us. And he wouldn't have done that unless it was the only way to save us. The only way for you and I to be saved was for Jesus Christ to die upon the cross of Calvary to shed his blood for us. Spurgeon said this, the priests could only cleanse with blood of bulls and goats, but he has washed us from our sins in his own blood. Men are willing enough to shed the blood of others, how readily they are to enter upon war, but Christ was willing to shed his own blood, to pour out his own soul unto death, that we might be saved. He loved us and he washed us. This is all possible because he shed his blood upon the cross of Calvary. You know, it's, John here almost breaks into uncontrollable praise and he contemplates Christ. I mean, think about this. We are five verses into this book of Revelation, 22 chapters long, 21 verses in chapter 22, and in verse 5, and six, John is bursting in praise. In fact, he's about to say, Amen! <laughs> Five verses, six verses, sorry. And he can't help himself. Because, you see, as he contemplates the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as he contemplates the Savior, as he contemplates his love, and by the way, John understands the love of Christ, doesn't he? Remember, he is the, the disciple that Christ loved, and he lay upon his chest, and 
John's the one that was committed to look after Mary. He understands this love relationship. Read the Gospel of John and you understand how much he understands the love of God. And as John thinks about the love of God and the consequence of that love is the washing of him by the blood of Christ, that Christ by love was driven to Calvary, he couldn't help but get excited about it. And as we consider what Christ has done for us and who Christ is, it ought to cause you and I to praise him. It ought to cause you and I to get a little excited that he has indeed shed his blood for us because he loved us. He loved us. He cleansed us. And you know, that should be enough, shouldn't it? But then that's what John says in verse 6. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. He loved us. He washed us by his blood. And then he made us kings and priests. This is status he gave to you and I. Jesus gives to those who loved him at the cross and who he washed by his blood. He gives them this position of being kings and priests. You're a king and you're a priest. Now, it would have been enough for him to love us and to cleanse us. He didn't have to make us kings and priests, joined heirs with Christ, but he did. You know, this goes beyond, far beyond any expectation you and I can have to make us kings and priests to God and his Father. This is more than Adam ever had. Now think about it. Adam was created without sin. He was in the Garden of Eden. He hadn't sinned. And uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, he was holy. It hadn't been confirmed yet by his action, but to all intents and purposes, he was holy. And yet Adam was never called a king and priest. Even in the innocence of Eden, we never read that Adam was among the kings and priests of God. And yet we are. Literally, verse 6 says that you and I are a kingdom of priests unto God, even the Father. We're a kingdom of priests unto God, even the Father. We are kings. Think about that. You and I are God's royalty. We're kings. You know, when, when we're feeling a bit down, when we're feeling a bit dis disheartened, when we're feeling a little bit, you know, like it's hard being a Christian, remember, we're kings. This speaks of privilege. This speaks of status. This speaks of authority. We're kings. And we're priests. You know, in the Old Testament, it was forbidden to combine the offices of king and priest. King Uzziah of Judah is an example of a man who tried to combine the two offices. He wanted to be king and priest. He paid the penalty for it. Go with me to Second Chronicles, please. Second Chronicles, chapter 26. And verse 16. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. 
For he transgressed against the Lord his God, and he went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king, and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, the, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense, so go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honour from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth, and he had a censer in his hand to burn, the incense, to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him and beheld, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in, several, in a several house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and from Jotham his son, uh, and Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last, did Isaiah the prophet, son of Amos, write. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial, which belonged to the kings, and they said, He is a leper, and Jotham his son reigned in his stead. He tried to be king and priest, but he ended up having leprosy, and he died a leper. But you and I, beloved, we are kings and priests. We're a kingdom of priests. And God's given to you and I special privilege. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, we're told that you and I can offer up sacrifices of praise unto God, as sweet-smelling savors to God. You and I have the privilege of access to His presence. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 tells us, because you and I have been justified, we have access to the very presence of Almighty God. You and I can come boldly into His presence. And we've been appointed as priests to serve God here on earth. In Exodus chapter 19, God called Israel to be a kingdom of priests. The Jews failed God, and their kingdom was taken away from them. And the church was grafted into that vine. And today the church, or believers, you and I are the kings and priests. We're the kingdom of priests. To represent God here on earth. We exercise spiritual authority to serve Christ in this world. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2, please. 1 Peter chapter 2. And verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye go forth... The, uh, that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now, but are now the people of God, which have obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You and I are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a particular people, that we should show forth the praise of him that has saved us, that called out of darkness to light. God has given you and I a wonderful privilege, beloved, of being a king and a priest. And with that great privilege comes great responsibility. 
that you and I act like kings and priests, that you and I act like we're part of the kingdom of priests that God calls us to, that you and I live as a testimony in this world, that we share with the world the Lord Jesus Christ as their only hope of salvation. To all these wonderful truths, John shouts in praise and he closes with a salutation. Here's his dedication to the book and he finishes out by saying this, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen! <laughs> I love it. He hasn't got anywhere into the book yet, but he's already praising God. He's already excited about the whole thing. And he says here in this doxology, he gives a benediction, which is one of worship and praise. In the light of all that God has done for us and all that Jesus Christ for us has done for us, he has, he has uh, uh, saved us and he has washed us and he's made us a king and priest. Then he says, let's praise him. As John considers the work of Christ, he proclaims, to first of all, to Christ be glory. The word glory here means honor and praise. You know, Jesus Christ deserves all the glory, doesn't he? He deserves our honor. He deserves our praise. And I, I can't think of anything, a, a, a more timely time to look at this than just prior to Christmas. Because Christmas is all about Christ. And he deserves all of our honor. He deserves all of our praise. For he alone is worthy. He alone secured our redemption upon Calvary. He alone saved us. He alone cleansed us. He alone made us kings and priests. And to recognize the glory of Jesus Christ is to come out and declare it, which is what John does. Declares it. I read this. Spurgeon said this. He said, Some of you are very like a mouse. Behind the wainscot, anyone know what a wainscot is? It's a skirting board. Okay? It's a flash skirting board, but it's a skirting board, okay? So uh, some of you are very like a mouse behind the wainscot, behind the skirting board. You're in the Lord's house, but you're not known as one of the family. Sometimes you give a little squeak in your hiding place. Sometimes you come out at night, as the mouse does, to pick up a crumb or two without being seen. Is this worthy of yourself? Is this worthy of your Lord and Master? <laughs> In other words, don't be a mouse. Proclaim it. Own it. Give thanks unto God for it. That we are saved. We're cleansed. We're kings and priests. Glory to God. Now when we say this, when we talk about giving him glory... We aren't giving Jesus glory and dominion. What we're simply doing is recognizing that he has the glory and the dominion. Okay, You and I can actually give glory unto him. He is already glorious. You and I can actually give dominion unto him. He's already king of kings and lord of lords. So when John says here, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen, what he's saying is, let us acknowledge his glory, let us acknowledge his dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's recognize it. Let's recognize that he has 
the, the glory. Let's recognize he has the dominion. And so he says, to him be glory and dominion. Dominion. Forever and ever. Dominion speaks of the fact that all power belongs to Christ. He is the almighty God. And will forever and ever be the almighty God. And therefore needs and deserves to be worshipped. To be praised. To be honoured. Because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you know this book of Revelation is going to reveal to us that truth like never before. It's going to reveal to you and I just who God is and just who Jesus Christ is. We're going to see him in all of his glory. We're going to see him amongst the churches in chapters uh, 2 and 3. We're going to see him in the heavens. We're going to see him coming back on that white horse with a, uh, with a vesture dipped in blood and on it written, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going to see him come and overthrow the enemies of God and righteousness and establish his kingdom for a thousand years. We're going to see Jesus Christ in all of his glory. We're going to see that he indeed does have dominion. If you and I have got any doubts about who is on the throne, the book of Revelation makes you and I understand without a shadow of a doubt that even though things look bleak, he's on the throne. He is the king. He is the Lord. And we ought to honor him for that. To recognize the dominion of Jesus is to let him rule over us. Spurgeon again said this. He said, again, if we truly say to him be glory and dominion, then we must give him dominion over ourselves. Each man has a little empire of three kingdoms, body, soul, and spirit, and it should be a united kingdom. Make Christ king of it all. Do not allow any branch of those three kingdoms to set up for itself as a distinct rule. Put them all under the sway of your one king. Surrender all to the king of kings. Lord of Lords, he saved us, he cleansed us, he made us kings and priests, therefore he deserves all the glory, and he deserves for you and I to bow before him as our king, and serve him as our Lord. Then John can't contain himself. He says, Amen! <laughs> oh, you know, we're a bit reserved for that, I know. John can't help himself. He's pretty excited now. Because he just, he, you know, if the book ended there, we have a great book, don't we? Just tell us about Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, amen means simply, yes. Or so let it be. It isn't a wish that it may be so. But it's an affirmation that it is so. He saved us. He cleansed us. He made us kings and priests. Therefore, to him be glory and dominion. And so let it be. Because he deserves it. Jesus will be praised. Jesus has done it all. He paid it all. He shed his blood. He cleansed us. He made us kings and priests. 
And we have much to praise him for. So let's praise him. We have a great Savior. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget to worship him. And as we study this book of Revelation, let's not lose sight of who it's about. It's about Jesus Christ. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege we have of being together. Thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, that we have a great Savior who saved us, who washed us, who made us kings and priests. And truly, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord, bless as we spend some time in prayer tonight and as we dismiss. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go to prayer tonight, we do need to pray for the Sorettes, particularly Francois uh, Sorette, and uh, the situation with his uh, cancer.